First of all, I would say that dealing with climate change isn't a luxury. Dealing with climate change is a life and death issue, and it has massive economic consequences also for people, for farmers who are suffering droughts in their countries, for particularly people in, in harm's way of intense weather events. And those are, those are things that are happening right now. But of course, we need to be looking at how to have either people getting back to work you know, in their, in their jobs that they had, or creating just transitions for those to be trained to move into different jobs. And that the government funds that are there are being invested in people for long-term jobs. We have an opportunity to shift you know, coal miners who have been working in those types of jobs into other jobs over time. And we have federal money going into those jobs now. It can't be an either or. We really need to be thinking about these things um, together. The disruption that's occurring and the people who are suffering most from this disruption are suffering because our system has prioritized creating wealth for a few and large corporations rather than the wellness of everyone. So the funds that governments are putting forward now and thinking longer term need to be prioritizing getting healthcare systems in place, creating resilient societies. Those are societies that are going to be much more adapt to, first of all, addressing this issue, but then dealing with the next pandemic, God forbid, or and the climate emergency that's coming because those are populations and people who don't have the resources there. So governments need to think about that peace. It's a moment to step back and really rethink. You know, we, we set up a new world order after World War II. We're now in a different world than we were then. I have been encouraged by the Secretary General's leadership really stepping back, looking at the 75th anniversary of the United Nations. What can we be doing differently? And the World Economic Forum, I think, has a big responsibility in that as well, um, to be re pushing the reset button and looking at how to create well-being. The world was united in its rapid response to COVID-19. What do you think this tells us about our ability to fight climate change? I think it tells us that when we listen to the science and we understand what's at stake and the risks of what's at stake and we have clarity on what we need to do, we can tackle and address these big issues, these crises. And on climate change, we know what the problem is. We know the people who are being impacted by it. We know that. We know what the solutions are. I think the key is to put the, the health of people and the planet first. And that's what's happening on COVID-19. And that's what has not yet happened on climate change in many cases, because the, you know, the fossil fuel interests and the large industrial farming interests, they want to keep things the way that they are. There's big vested interests that want their health to come before people's health and the planet's health. And what we're learning from this crisis and pandemic is it is possible to switch it. It really is. But we need to act on what science and people need. What do you think is going to happen to climate action once we start to emerge from this pandemic? Well, I think that the climate action, actually, we have to be able to move forward at the same time as we're addressing the pandemic, because the pandemic is going to last it's not going to be over quickly. And the way that the world and governments respond to the pandemic, both in you know how they collaborate together and cooperate together to protect the most vulnerable people and how they recover. So do they recover better and that the world is in a better place or do they go back 
actually to the past will have a massive impact on whether or not we have a chance of addressing the climate emergencies. You know, the climate emergency hasn't gone away. It's still very much with us. And so while we have to prioritize, obviously, addressing COVID-19, we have to think together and create the world together that we, that we want to see. Factories will be racing to get back into business. There's going to be a global recession. Oil and gas will never have been so cheap. Can we really hope to see any climate progress? I think we can. If you look at how the world will respond with the stimulus packages and the recovery plans that they're making, uh, there is an opportunity to put those funds straight into jobs that will accelerate the pace of the decarbonization. We have a chance to both put people back to work and to chart a different future in you know, a short time frame. But that depends on whether governments listen to people or whether they listen to the polluters, whether the companies that have caused the problem, and in some cases we're already starting to shift into a new economy, actually move more into that direction. So a lot of that is going to be determined by what governments decide in the, in the coming days and weeks. And do you see any real hard evidence of this taking place? Any particular industries or sectors that are making concrete steps to rebuild the world into a greener, healthier place? There are a few examples. Um, Actually, the Canadian government has put forward a program, 1.7 billion Canadian dollars going into cleaning up orphan wells. They're putting uh, money into loans to finance, reducing methane. The New Zealand government has put forward a strong initial plan that would actually drive the economy into zero carbon. Denmark just announced that they're not going to be giving state aid to companies that have tax havens. These are all examples, I think, of the types of things that can be done. We've heard from the European Commission and a number of European countries that they're going to stay the course on the European Green Deal. And the last example that gives me a lot of hope actually is South Korea. So South Korea, you actually had a a people-powered movement before the election that the Green deal and a carbon neutral economy by 2050 should be part of, you know, the election platform of the major parties. And the party that won big in South Korea with very high voter turnout actually uh, has endorsed that. And so now we need to turn it into reality. But I think there are examples of where people understand that the climate crisis just hasn't gone away. There's way more on the local level, how people are helping each other right now, how they're helping their neighbors, how they're making sure that the most vulnerable are taken care of. These are all things that we need to tackle climate change as well. The sense of community, the sense of collaboration, and the sense of interdependency that's there of how my actions will determine the life and death potentially of others for COVID, but also for climate. And do you think those are lessons that governments and businesses can learn as well as individuals? Oh, absolutely. My sense right now is, um, well, on the government side of things, I think there's huge opportunities for collaboration and there's a responsibility in my sense, especially with developing countries right now. You know, sharing the knowledge that is being generated in developed countries on how to deal with the pandemic and when it occurs, when that uh, vaccine comes out, sharing that as a global common good with developing countries particularly and not uh, having it be held and controlled by a government or a corporation. I think companies have a chance to really be on the right side of history right now. The youth movement is still present 
And I think you are seeing in many countries, in most countries, youth actually collaborating because they know that older, more vulnerable populations are at risk. And so I think um, for governments to make sure that they're listening to what the youth movements are looking for. And are there any specific businesses or sectors that you think we should be focusing on first? Like, could it be the kind of energy that we use or transportation or maybe the way we produce food? One of the things that is so important is indeed the system that we're building. So I think those are all issues. It's, it's a mindset shift to not just think about um, what kind of car you have, but actually what's the mobility system that's going to move people forward in a safe way, a safe from the pandemic, but also uh, sustainable. What's the electricity system that can get electricity to everyone that actually will be much healthier from an air pollution perspective, from a climate change perspective. And that decision makers are thinking more about that well-being of people and, and um, taking those indicators as seriously, if not more seriously than kind of the short-term economic growth that has been driving things in the past. And I think for companies to be really rethinking how they're engaging in the world right now is quite important. So next week, environment ministers from around the world will be meeting for the Petersburg Climate Dialogue, all to be held online. Can you tell us a bit about this meeting and how it sets the agenda for COP26? Well, the Petersburg Climate Dialogue has been going on for many years now, actually, it was originally brought together by Chancellor Merkel and other leaders um, after actually the failure of the Copenhagen meeting to get people back together again to look at how to solve the the climate change uh, crisis. And um, each year they bring those ministers together and the chancellor speaks and she will speak uh, at this event next week. And they talk through how to address some of the key issues in the negotiations or in their real economy in their countries. And I think this is an excellent moment for those ministers to connect these dots, to connect the dots between what we need to be doing to create that resilient society to the, to the pandemic and to the, the climate impacts that are happening and what they can do with their recovery plan so they can rebuild better. So because if they are investing in that renewable energy, in in mobility systems that move us into public transport, into electric vehicles powered by renewable energy, that will show up in lower emissions and that will help them meet their Paris Agreement goals. A lot of these environmental summits are happening increasingly online. Do you think this is this virtual approach to meetings is a good thing or do you think it's more effective to have everybody in the room together? Oh, I think that uh, the virtual meeting piece, I think is a big improvement for the most part. I think that it can, it's now being shown that you can do so much online with good, uh, with good video conferencing that you don't need to get on a plane, you don't need to get in your car. I think clearly there will be times when people need to come together uh, to sort things out, but I think we can radically, radically cut uh, the numbers of meetings. Um, you know, why are, why are, business people flying back and forth for single meeting days. So let's keep that. Let's keep that. Let's keep that. And let's keep also the, you know, uh, a focus and a awareness on the need to be closer on our, on how we take care of each other as well.